Welcome to the Apple of Truth, a weekly podcast where we cover every single episode of Lucifer while exploring potholes and diving deep into all the details you never knew you needed. I'm Vero. And I'm Lena. And we not only share a deep love for the show and its creators, but also for our glorious patrons who enrich our lives on more than one level. Today we're talking about Season 3, Episode 14, My Brother's Keeper. And if you listen to my Devils in the Details about Kane, you already know where this relates to. Do you know what I like about this name? It doesn't just have one meaning. I was afraid that this is going to be AIM-centric episode when I saw the name. And <laughs> I was so glad it wasn't. Well, basically, it all refers to the same thing. Well, technically, yes, but not necessarily to the same characters. Oh, yeah. That is true. Which what made me happy. Yeah. Since this is not an Amenadiel-centric episode, let's see what this episode is actually about. This is an Ella episode with surprisingly little information on Ella, but instead with diamonds, siblings drama, therapy issues, and a full-on fight fest between Amenadiel and Kane. Yes! Ah, so many things made me so happy in this episode. Ah. And one thing made me super sad. Yeah, well, we'll get to that. I'm hoping they were talking about the same thing. We'll see. Surprise! Tension! <laughs> but speaking of things that kind of made me happy, the obsession of the week is, for me, brotherhood. I went with elder brothers. I count that as a win. Facts and fun are... Very spare this time. We have a second time director with Claudia Yarmi, who also did Candy Morning Star. We have a writer duo with Joe Henderson, who is only getting his fourth credit, and Jason Ning, who is getting his seventh credit, including God Johnson. This actually makes sense that Joe was one of the writers, because this episode, it is very meta plot, but not really, and it just kind of waltzes through that, and it made me very happy. Never mind, go on. I was very surprised that this is only Joe's fourth credit. I mean, he has a credit as a producer of the show. So Ildi has way more writing credits than he does. And so I was very surprised by this because I kind of forgot that he hadn't written as many episodes. So I was like, did I count right? I recounted. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I, I am counting it right. <laughs> One, two, three, four. That's it. Yeah. Like, am, I, am I in the correct category? Am I missing something? And also the episode title is set by Amenadiel. For those of you who do not listen to my wonderful devil in the details, you totally should become a believer level patron. This episode title is taken from the original story of Cain and Abel in the Bible. When asked about the whereabouts of Abel, who he had just murdered seconds before, Cain replies, I know not, am I my brother's keeper? Yay. That's it, sadly. <laughs> So, what to expect? Can I just say something before you go into the previously on? Yeah. When I saw this the first time, I expected a completely different episode after seeing the previously on. Hmm. The previously on led me to believe that this was gonna be about the horrible love triangle, for example. Which doesn't even get mentioned in the episode. Good. Yeah. So, I was very led astray by the previously on. Hmm. Speaking of the previously on then, let's take a look what's in there. Previously on Lucifer. 
Kane is around, he is immortal but still feels all the pain and bleeds. Ames is also around and he is the illegit favorite son. Mace is expressing her dislike of Ames and Linda being an item. Charlotte doesn't remember when she was a mom, but likes to pretend that she does. Mom nearly killed Linda. And Lucy and Kane make a deal to screw over dad and get Kane dead. Perfect! <laughs> I see this as a punny episode because I had a pun in the devil in the details and now you had a pun in the previously on. Oh, I also ordered a punny shirt today. Oh my god. Oh, rather, I received it. Is Apocalypse coming anytime soon now? Because it has a deer on it in the rainbow colors and it says, oh dear, I'm queer. Aww. And the deer is spelled like D-E-E-R. So Yeah, that's cute. Yeah, right. Because I saw the design, I was like, fuck, I like this, even though it's a pun. Oh well. <laughs> Guess it's time to grow. Yeah, the world is officially coming to an end. Welcome to 2021. <laughs> With that. The cold open. We have a cold open. We have a cold open. I, I know. That's so rare. And the first thing that we see or hear is a song that is called The Answer by Aquamon. That's a great name. Is it moan as in moaning? Yeah, Aquamon as in Aquaman, but with an O inserted. Ooh, that's what he said. Um... <laughs> I'm so not sorry. I actually only have one remark for this cold open, beside the fact that it is a cold open, and I appreciate that for once we have one. Why in the fucking hell would you put your sister's mobile phone as LAPD into your contacts when you are conducting potentially shady business? I mean, even if you don't, she literally called him from her cell phone, from her mobile phone. Why would you have your sister's phone number saved as LAPD. Like the only, the only answer I have that it's LAPD as an LAPD. Oh my God, no, 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 no. The only explanation that I'm willing to accept is that Ella put herself in there as LAPD because she was so happy that she made LAPD. I don't see that happening. Me neither, but it's the only explanation that <laughs> I can come up with. But yeah, I found that a very lazy shorthand. Let's put it that way. I did not appreciate this and I had the same question. So the one positive thing I've taken from this scene is that clearly we're about to learn more about Ella and her family in this episode. So, you know, yay. You want me to get my complaint out of the way here so we don't have to skirt around it? Yep, go for it. When the scene changes and we realize it was Ella calling him and... And I also had the realization, yay, it's finally an Ella episode. This episode is not about Ella. And I hate that it's not about Ella. And this is my main issue with the entire episode. If they had not set it up as an Ella-centric episode and then fucking disappointed me, I would adore this episode. But the fact that it's framed as a so-called Ella episode when it isn't makes me so angry. So I now got it out of my system and I'm not going to talk about this until the very end. Okay. I didn't really have that much of an issue with that. I feel like there is enough that we learn about her and her family for me to be satisfied-ish enough with this. So we move over into the precinct and we see confirmation. It is 
Ella calling him and it is Ella calling him on her personal phone. So our issue with the cold open definitely stands. And you remember last episode when I said, yeah, now it feels like Lucifer is finally taking this more serious? Nope. Yeah, I'm I'm completely taking that back. I was wrong. He is still not taking this serious. Yeah, even I have to agree with you after watching this scene. <laughs> oh my God, take note. Are we recording this? Oh no. Yeah, even I have to agree with you. After watching this scene, I do not completely believe that Lucifer is in this with his whole heart. And I actually wonder what this means. Because the superficial motivation to screw over dad actually rates at something that for me should mean that he takes this seriously. But he doesn't. So does that mean he subconsciously does not want to screw over God? Or does that mean he actually does not want to help Cain or something else? Is there another layer that I am missing? I think that we've kind of hit that at the end of last episode when we talked about or when we've seen them essentially bonding. Because I think that even though he's not doing it consciously, he has kind of gotten a taste of what it feels like having a friend who's not mortal is a good word for it. Yeah, this is actually super obvious and wow, duh. I mean, we talked about it. I think that's it. And I don't think that it's 100% necessarily conscious decision on his part. Yeah, we talked about this last episode, but I didn't connect it in my brain in the way I just did now. So thank you once again for putting shit in a way that suddenly it goes click in my brain and then it's so obvious that I feel kind of ashamed. I actually had to ask the question, is there a layer that I'm missing? Never mind. He mentions in here that he is going to talk to Amenadiel about this. And I instantly called that this is going to backfire because Amenadiel, as was stated in previously on, is dad's favorite son. We would not have been shown that part if this wasn't going to be the argumentation Amenadiel is using. But I do agree that maybe there is a very good hint on the mark of Cain as towards the goal that they're trying to achieve. I just think that Lucifer is not approaching it in the right direction just yet. Yeah, well, licking your finger and trying to rub it off is definitely not the right approach even though it was fucking hilarious he had to try you don't know i mean what upsets me the most about this scene and it does not surprise me whatsoever just gonna put it out there is that lucifer is talking about the films of da vinci codes because the book has so much more and it could have actually helped him we don't know all the pop culture references that we have gotten in the past have been to movies mostly there's very very few exceptions and those were comic books and not reading books. Yeah, fair enough. So I kind of wonder, does Lucifer read entertainment books? Hmm, I don't actually really see him reading at all. Right? So yeah, I agree. Like, it's definitely not surprising. It's just slightly annoying. Yeah. Let's move on to one of my favorite moments in this episode. Yep, we get... Ella walking towards our apartment, Clay's apartment. And while that's happening, we are starting to hear a song by EVI called Glim Sparky. And it is our only non-English song in this episode. I completely did not notice that there was a song playing because my brain just went on full tilt the moment the door opens and Trixie has fake 
mace knives. I completely lost my shit. I had to pause the episode. And oh my god, this is the best. Especially when we see that Mace apparently has been teaching Trixie how to fight with them. Mm -hmm. The idea of Trixie being a protégé of Mace is very entertaining and very good. But also, do you realize that this means that Mace did not give her the actual knives? Oh, I did not think of that. That is true. And for me, this is growth. I'm pretty sure Chloe had a part in this. But still, Chloe is not there. And old Mace would 100% given Trixie the knives the second Chloe wasn't around. So maybe there was a talk about this, but the fact that there is no responsible adult present and still Mace has her actual knives and Trixie has the fake knives, for me speaks volumes about the way Mace has grown And this is such an understated moment because nothing is spelled out, but it says so much. I love it. This is one of my absolute favorite moments there. Personally, I'm not completely convinced that Chloe knows about the situation. Do you really think Trixie would not tell her mother that she is receiving self-defense lessons from Mace? Why would she? Because Trixie is a very honest child. They have a good relationship. I'm not saying that she would hold it back on purpose. I'm just thinking about why would she mention it? I don't know. I'm just not 100% convinced that Chloe knows about this happening or maybe not in this extent. All right. If there's no better poll, does Chloe know that Mace is training Trixie? There we go. Yep. I'm not ready to die on that hill, but I'm not convinced either way. That's okay. I love the fact that she calls her Trix because shortening already shortened name means that they have a very close relationship. And that's just really lovely to see from Maze's perspective. Yeah, the relationship that has been built up, even with the spare amount of screen time that we have of Trixie, is really, really well done. And I also feel that this relationship is part of what makes Maze's growth believable. So there's that. I do have to say, though, that Ella knows what's what because she did come to Mace to find somebody. She's the best bounty hunter that we have. Because we've seen Lucifer absolutely not being that knowledgeable or using Mace as a bounty hunter rather than trying to get Chloe to do stuff for him in the last episode. Are we really surprised that Ella is smarter than Lucifer? There is no surprise here. I'm just glad to see that Ella is living up to my expectations. For me, that Ella is recruiting Mace and paying her instead of talking to Chloe in this situation was extremely telling that the dude is gonna be shady as fuck. If Ella didn't at least have some doubt that something shady might have been going on, then I think she would have gone straight to Chloe. And all the extreme, repetitive, emotional denial that there is no way Jay is anything shady, to me, is denial and transference. Okay. I don't really see it that way, at least not yet. Why am I not surprised? We'll get to it. We'll get to a little bit more about Jay's and Ella's relationship, which is the one thing that was really annoying to me in this episode. To end this perfect scene, we have a fucking perfect transition. Oh, yes. So everything in this scene, to me, was perfection. The writing, the filming, the interacting, the motivations, the meanings, 
all the way to the transition into the next scene. So fucking well done, Lucifer. Thank you. This is the quality I keep referring to when I'm not happy. This is the standard I hold this show to. So we get a transition to the penthouse where Lucifer is trying to convince Amenadiel to help him with the Mark of Cain. And I mean, yes, Amenadiel, when you put it like that, you are correct and everything. But either way, I feel like Ames is just too good of a soldier to disobey his father in such an obvious way that he would directly go against trying to remove the curse. Even if we wouldn't have the revelation of which we get a little bit later on in the episode, even if we don't have that, it feels absolutely true to Ames's character to say no and not budge. Absolutely. There's just another layer in this because I agree with everything you said, but Amenadiel also reiterates the whole you are my test. Oh, fucking made me so mad again. I feel like Amenadiel has not come a single millimeter closer to figuring out what that actually means. I mean, he just walks around saying the same phrase over and over and sleeping with Linda on the side. And not doing anything. We're not talking about this. This does not get mentioned in this episode. It doesn't exist. Okay. Please let me have my peace of mind for one more episode. <laughs> Ah, don't you cry no more. Fuck, you're not stuck in my brain. (laughs) So, to me, the whole you're my test actually is harmful to Amenadiel because I feel it puts him in a position of inactiveness. And to be honest, I'm very curious how this is gonna play out because either Lucifer is his test, but a test requires some kind of action. You need to take the test. You can't just like stand there and look at it. Let it pass. And hope it's gonna solve itself. You have to pass the test. The test can't pass you. Ha ha ha. Yeah. Nice to Or Lucifer is not his test. And then he has been barking up the wrong tree all this time. He's been delusional. Which would also not be surprising because it's a mana deal we're talking about. So I'm quite curious. This gives potentially great potential. And since the writers so far have come around on pretty much everything that I have complained about in the past. I'm willing to wait, but at this point I'm fully with you. This is so annoying. It's very annoying. It's just a broken record. We go over into the first Trekking J scene. There are quite a lot of those. And I'm actually going to let you lead on this scene because I have so much to complain about. So I kind of don't want to go on another rant. So can you please take over? (laughs) To be fair, I do not have much on this scene. It's relatively short. To me, I appreciate the fact we have a confirmation again that Maze is very good at her job. Her being able to track Jay down to this diamond dealer just proves how good she is. And then, color me surprised, I was actually surprised that they didn't find the dead body of Jay. Because of how the cult open was set up, you would assume that dude is gonna get you know, suspicious and shoots him on the spot or something. For me, it was the opposite because the cold open was set up in such an obvious way. It was clear to me it was not going to be the guy who had the gun pointed at him to be lying dead on the floor. That would have been too easy. And it has been rare that the writing on Lucifer has been that lazy. Well, you know, sometimes obvious is good. But yeah, for me, it was surprising that it was not Jay. They got you, which is nice. 
to me, this is the moment where the obsession of the episode becomes extremely obvious. So nicely done, not even 10 minutes into the episode. And also, to me, this is the moment where I became a thousand percent sure that Jay is a bad guy, is a criminal and is a lying cunt because Ella went so over the top in this scene at being defensive in so many different moments because this scene is actually over three minutes long. It doesn't feel long, but it is quite long. And in this moment, we have three distinctive, explicit denials by Ella regarding Jay. And to me, this was, okay, this has been denied so many times already. He is gonna be an asshole. I didn't look at it that way. To me, it was just Ella trying to protect her brother. And obviously, he was shady because... If you get nervous that your sister slash LAPD is calling you in front of somebody, you're shady. But I don't know. I didn't expect him to be as bad as he turns out to be. I did appreciate, though, that Ella keeps her head at this stage still for a moment and she actually finds a forensic evidence that clears her brother, even though it's not 100% saying and figuring out that the shooter was a lefty. Obviously, she is looking for a way to clear her brother, but this is a pretty good and solid evidence, I'd say, that he is not the shooter. I'm not saying he's innocent, but he was not the shooter. To me, this was a very logical evolution of... Remember Ella with the comedian who turns out to be an asshole? This is the same behavior, but more rational. And I am pretty sure if she ever found out how bad a person Jay actually is she would flip on him, at least for a while, just like the way she flipped on the comedian. Oh yeah, for sure. So this felt extremely in character to me. And as much as her repeated denial of, no, no, my brother is a good guy, was grating on me through this episode, it was extremely Ella-like and Ella personality conforming. I am not doubting that. That I hated it? I did. I'm trying to be funny today. I should stop. (laughs) No, no, go on. I did appreciate another thing in this scene, and that is the fact that Chloe decides to trust Ella's instincts because she knows her well enough to realize that even though she is emotionally involved in the situation, she is still a hell of a forensic scientist. And she knows Jay. As far as we know now, anyway. I really appreciated that this episode showcased the level of personal connection between Ella and the rest of the LAPD, but especially between Ella and Chloe. In this episode, they're shining a light on a lot of different relationships. And I really, really like that. Absolutely. And in this Next scene, we go to, I think, the most painful moment, at least to me, in this episode. And this is a relationship that I did not expect. And I love what they have done with this. Because remember, I like being heard. This whole scene, Charlotte making the decision 
to go to therapy. Getting a recommendation from Lucifer, following that recommendation, going to Linda without calling her apparently, because otherwise Linda would not have been caught that unaware. And then on the other hand, having Linda who still as I have repeatedly said, did obviously not go to therapy regarding her traumatic experience. Being so harshly affected by this, this scene, this moment, and this is not a long moment, is so painful, it is so full of tension. Both of these amazing actresses give me a performance that hurts me to my soul, and then she leaves. And Linda is sitting there and I felt so bad for both of them. Yep, same. I love it. Thank you for hurting me this much because they resolved this so perfectly at the end of this episode. This was so satisfying. The build-up that they do here and the way they wrap it up later. Ah, <sighs> wow, wow. Good stuff. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I agree. As much as you love it, I hate it in a good way. Same. It's the perfect pain. It just made me so sad. Ugh. But from uh, love, hate, and sadness, let's go to flaming swords and space vaginas. Oh my god. Can we just agree that flaming sword and space vagina is the best porn title ever? <laughs> God, I didn't even think of that. Yes, 100%. If we ever start naming our episodes, this would have been the name for this episode. 100%. I have a slight issue with this scene because Lucifer says, I wish I had that option regarding killing your brother. And I'm like, dude, you did kill one of your brothers. Yeah, but we're talking about Uriel and Emmanuel. They're different. Still, I wish I had that option. You literally had that option, used that option, and then threw that option away. Because he didn't want to use the option ever again. Yeah, still, just because the show forgot about Uriel, I did not. I'm just saying... Sometimes we say a throwaway things, you know, like, I wish I could murder my brother. There are no throwaway lines in Lucifer when we have a podcast about the show. <laughs> Every word has meaning. Speaking of meaning, <laughs> this scene also has a very rare instance of an explicit call out of Lucifer's self-identification with the case. It's not as rare as it used to be. Chloe has started calling him out on his shit, I don't know, a season ago. And like, she doesn't do it often, but she does it often enough for me that I actually made it into my note that I appreciate that she does that. I want her to do it even more often. Yeah, it would get too repetitive. Yes, but... <laughs> improv. Yes, but my expectation would be that Lucifer grows and stops self-identifying as much with every case. Yeah, that's not gonna happen. <laughs> Let's go into scene 8, jewelry store. I'm gonna start, before you say anything, spoiler, remember Raymond. He's gonna show up in the future. Who? The clerk. His name is Raymond? Yes. Okay. Remember Raymond, he's gonna, he's gonna show up in the future again. Didn't notice they named him, but we're gonna start off this scene with a song that's called Run 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 and it's by Carrie Kimmel. All the songs in this episode are a great fun. They're just very obscure. I have to confess I don't remember a single specific song and I don't even think I noticed all of them. And for me, 
this scene took a big turn when Chloe comes up with the engagement story. And I adore the fact that Lucifer is immediately on board with the fact that they're undercover or pretending just to flush somebody out. But he gets thrown off by the fact that Chloe knows anything about diamonds. And where he draws the line is that she repeatedly calls him cheap. It's amazing. I love that he immediately, he's like, oh, I'm not questioning that. That's fine. Like, I am on board with that. I understand what you're doing. But since where you know anything about diamonds? I feel in the first few seconds, he was taken by surprise. And Lucifer is not good with surprises. And de facto lying. But everything you said wraps it up perfectly. And I only have one more note on this. Because literally you wrapped up everything else I had to say. Which is, when we go into the back of the store, we have the very classic, if you have no siblings, you want a sibling. If you have siblings, you know all the pains and joys of it. Yep, that we do. And honestly, Chloe, you wish you had a brother, but I can tell you from experience, it's not always that great. Like I said, if you don't have siblings, you want some. If you have siblings, sometimes you wish you didn't. And we get a little bit of a movement on our case of the week at the end of this scene, which honestly I wasn't that into currently. So yay, the insurance stuff and yay, the... who cares? Yeah, we have insurance scam for that poor struggling, probably selling blood diamonds boss lady. Also, let's not get into the whole millennial shit because we could sit here for two days talking about millennials. So instead, we go back to tracking Jay. And all I have to say is, yay, casual assault by Mace, and yay, Knight Rider reference. Yeah, good shout out for Knight Rider. We've all watched it as children, right? So, I have nothing else for this scene. We can go back to Linda's office. Where she is self-medicating. And I know, I have said this before, girl, you need therapy. Not self-medicating. But to me, the most relevant thing in this scene is how soft Lucifer is. And I don't think we have seen him interact this soft with anyone else besides Chloe. I disagree. We've seen him like this with Linda before. When they have a conversation in the hospital, when they have like a few times in therapy, I couldn't pinpoint them right now, but I'm sure that we've seen him maybe not directly like this because the theme of the situation is a little bit different now, but 100% I can see this approach from him or this energy from him in the hospital scene when he comes up to her and apologizes for what happened to her. I know where you're coming from, but to me, both the hospital interaction between him and Linda and the conversation between him and Charlotte when they have the wine is not even close to the level of softness. And with softness, I mean empathy the ability to phrase it in a way that it reaches Linda and everything. So to me, this moment showed growth and care in Lucifer that had not been made this explicit in the past. And this is one of the things, one of the relationships that I was talking about before. It kind of brings out more of what is happening between all of these people. And I think that we see a very similar vibe from Lucifer towards Ella at the end of the episode as well. So it just 
really lovely to see. Full agreement. But to me, this came very much as a surprise. And I really appreciate it because later on, there's another soft moment for Lucifer. And I adore soft Lucifer. I want more. Clearly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that really got me. That really, really got to me. And this scene was really well done as well. I know I'm, I'm repeating all this episode, but wow, the writing in this episode is... Really good. Hi, Joe. Both Joe and Jason. Thank you, Joe. And like I said, Jason Ning wrote God Johnson, so no surprise there. So now we very briefly pop into the precinct to meet this insurance guy. And my only note on this scene is, I don't know if it's because I've seen this actor in something else. I don't know if it's just his face, but I do not trust him at all. There is just something off about him. And you were right. I was right. And then we move on back to the shady hotel and we get a song called Blow by Blossoms. And this is the scene where Ella reveals the secret of families. The only thing I have to say in this scene is I appreciate and I enjoy the time that we get to spend with the Ella Mace pairing. I do wonder, though, if Maze's consistent misnaming of Ella is deliberate. I am pretty sure it is, yeah. Why? I think that to her it's a way to show Ella that she doesn't care. So she puts in that much effort? Yeah. I think that she feels vulnerable in her presence because she notices that she cares about her, which is gonna get shown later on again, and she wants to prove to her that she means nothing so she deliberately calls her Ellen. Okay, I can deal with that. That's good enough. But then Jay makes the bad move of trying to beat Maze up and obviously it takes about 4.2 seconds to for him to nearly die. So, you know, Maze is on the top of her game and we love her. Hmm. And of course, we're very sad for Ella, who now has confirmation to be disappointed. We go over to Lux. And there is a song, because it's Lux. And it's called All Out of Love. And it's by Electric Treasure featuring Fallon. And it is the base of my devils in the music for the Patreon section. So if you want to learn the very little information that I found out about this, go there. And if you know stuff about this song or this band or this singer, please hit me up because I want to know more. Thank you. When I saw this for the first time, I was completely surprised that Amenadiel is the one who put the mark on Kane. I was genuinely surprised and it makes sense. It is completely coherent with what the show has been building up so far and I am here for it. And I enjoyed where this is leading so much. I only have one question, even though I don't exactly word for word remember what Pierce says. Does Pierce think Amenadiel is no longer mortal? Yes, he knows. Do we know? That Amenadiel is no longer mortal? We know that Amenadiel is essentially a human now. Do we? Yeah. Did this get confirmed? Yeah. When? How? They talk about it in like episode or two ago. He says he can't have chlamydia because he's an angel. But he has a cult like a human. Yeah, but they completely gloss over the fact. So I feel like it was not confirmed 
that Amenadiel is mortal and I'm still not sure if this can be counted as confirmation that he's mortal. As a person that was running around trying to convince me that Amenadiel has lost his powers and therefore is human for weeks and then when I finally say, hey listen, he has a cold, okay, he has lost his angelic mojo now, he has lost his powers and therefore he is human and you agreed with me, now you come back and say that it was not outright said. But it hasn't been outright said, right? It wasn't outright said, but sorry, if he can get a flu or a cold, he can die. So, because, and you do know me, I live to be contrary. I know that we have a great yada yada. Who cares what I said last week? Remember, we record, I forget. So, I now wonder if maybe Pierce is only referring to the fact that he can hurt Amenadiel and make him bleed. So basically, they are on an even playing field. Both bleed, both hurt. Amenadiel, still being an angel, won't die if he tries to kill him and Cain will just come back if he kills him. So this is the most even that a match is even possible. I, I know where you're going. I don't disagree. It definitely brings them on the same level. If that means that Amenadiel is mortal or not is another question. Because I feel if Amenadiel knew that he was mortal, he would maybe be a bit more careful. But he doesn't put himself in any kind of dangerous situation. I don't, I feel like he is convinced that he still has the upper hand in this. And judging by the amount of times that he actually kills Cain in the fight that is coming, I think he does. But it's not a strong enough upper hand. I don't know. Hmm. I think this might be one of the cases where I read so many more layers into an interaction than you do. So I'm just gonna let it rest. I found it very enjoyable seeing Kane on the offense and the balls on this guy just taking out a gun and threatening a menadeal. Just the idea of even starting that conversation. It's incredible and I love it. I love this cane and I am really, yeah, it's good. So that's pretty much me on this scene. Same. More to come. So sadly, before we finish this amazing interaction in Lux, we have to do a stopover with tracking Jay and finding Jay and another great transition because they now have found Jay. And his argumentation is the worst excuse ever with the I had to pee. But everything in this scene gets saved by the fact that Ella is hitting him with her shoe. I love that she takes off the shoe. (laughs) And what makes it even better is that this is the point where Mace steps in. This is too much for Mace, which just makes it so fucking bizarre. It's a very good situation. In this moment, I absolutely feel with Ella. Completely. Oh, yes. And yes, I agree. She could have helped him. If what he's saying is true, she could have easily helped him yes and then we have a phone call and we mentioned this before this instant where she lies to them and they hang up and they obviously know what is going on and figure out where she is gonna go it's just something that i enjoyed so much because it again shines a light on the relationships between different people that we usually don't see that much detail on 
And this is definitely the best thing about this episode, the relationships between people. And also we have this nice and classic phone transition that Lucifer uses quite often where someone in one scene is going to get a phone call and then the scene is simply going to continue on the other side of the phone call. The only thing that made me a little sad at this moment is that we saw Chloe trusting Ella earlier and now we see Ella not trusting Chloe. Which makes sense because she has her brother sitting right across from her. Yeah, but if she would have actually just maybe talked to Chloe, if she trusted her, we could have avoided some stuff. Yes, but she had the brother that she looks up to sit right across from her looking at her face while she is having this conversation. I am very sure if Jay had not been in the same room with her while this conversation occurs, Ella would have talked with Chloe. Maybe, maybe. So we go back to Lux. And, oh wow, I have opinions. Because he still discharges a firearm inside a room. Yes, but he knows good enough that this is not gonna hurt anybody. You cause a panic and when you cause a panic, you create a danger. Especially when you are very high up on a floor and people potentially trample each other to death. Because this is America and random shootings inside panic. So he still is a fucking asshole with no regard for anyone else besides him. Okay. But he's not gonna straight up murder someone just to poke Amenadiel. Okay. You said you had opinions, so I'm waiting for the opinions. So he's a fucking asshole that just discharged a firearm inside a room and potentially incited a panic. That is the one thing. And my other opinion is, oh my god, Amenadiel, I didn't think I could love you, but Amenadiel just straight up shooting him because he was annoyed Ah. was so fucking hilarious to me. See, I'm on Kane's side in this scene. For starters, once they start fighting, we get a song called Unstoppable by Moore, which is perfect. Second of all, the choreography of this entire scene is brilliant. Even though I am not the huge fan of the trope, so you know this technique, let's see how you do with this technique. You know, it's kind of the thing that they use very often in, uh, I would say for sure it was on Matrix and I've seen it so many times and sometimes it works for me and this time it was just a bit, there was a few phrases that they could have let go. I hear what you're saying and usually I would be completely on your side, except Amenadiel is supposed to be the warrior. So him knowing all of humanity's fighting techniques is something I can fully understand. And Cain has been bored for an eternity. So that Cain knows all this shit and now has the innate need to show he has the bigger fighting penis is also very much in character. So in this one instance, it actually made sense to me. Okay, I see where you're coming from and I don't absolutely fucking hate it. I just kind of like, nah. Usually you are absolutely right. And then there is this fun attitude of I can do this all day when just after Kane dies and comes back to life he says don't think a little death is gonna stop me and it's just beautiful beautiful scene it just made me happy i know i said no more tensions but do you know the song everything you can do i can do better yeah of course this is what i had to think of when these two are sparing and i instantly had this song in my brain and there is a there's a fan video with thor and loki cut to this 
song and I could see this song used with footage of Pierce and Amenadiel just as well. Cute. That was not really attention. If you had said you don't know the song, there would have been more explanation. So thankfully, you know the song. Just for everybody, that is a song for a musical. What is it from? I have no idea. I've never seen a relating musical. I only know this song. Oh, Jesus. One of the classics from the 20s. We're going to include the link to the song with the MCU and then everyone can enjoy Tom Hiddleston, Chris Hemsworth and great musical music. Yay. Anyway, to see what's actually up with Jay and his lies, we enter the crime scene. And look at that! Motherfucking liar. How dare he? This was the point where I got fed up with Ella's he has to be innocent obsession. Yes, 100%. But it got immediately balanced out by Mace and her take on family. The way she talks about family. I have missed that. Maybe I misplaced the note, but this is the scene where Ella talks some more about family. Maybe I misplaced it, but my note says Mace and family. So many issues here. Probably. I feel... Oh, wait, this is... This is gonna be after Chloe shows up, it feels like. Yeah, because I didn't have any notes for in between. Okay, so in between, before we get to that bit, I adore Maze's moment where, you know, usually when somebody knows there's a secret room, they go around and try to find a trigger. Not Maze. No, 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 no. That is not how Maze does it. Maze just straight out punches a hole through a wall and opens the door from the inside. That made me extremely happy. And then, of course, we have the connotation of Jay lying through his teeth to Ella and Chloe showing up and Ella doing the smart thing, letting Jay get away by standing in front of Chloe's gun. Oh, boy. Damn shit. Yeah, I was not happy with that. And then she has this whole tangent about Jay being innocent. And I'm like, at this moment, I'm just extremely annoyed because, come on, clearly he's been hiding something from you. Why don't you just accept it? And then it kind of just morphs into her talking to Maze when, yes, Maze's look on the family is very Maze. (laughs) There's so many issues there. But also, Ella has her own issues. Issues, and I absolutely agree with her. Family should help each other. It really should. That's why we have family. And then we have the entire situation of Mace walking out on Ella. And Ella, obviously, and this is the moment when I, again, I can feel where she's coming from. And I'm getting, again, to the acceptance of her mindset when she just lashes out at Lucifer. And Lucifer, as we talked before, this is the moment when he sees the pain that Ella's in. And you can see that he hates it. And he wants to do something to help her. Another softness moment. It's again proving to us that Lucifer is not what he wants people to think he is. Usually he presents a much harsher and cooler outside. So soft Lucifer is my new jam. Happy, happy, happy. For the next scene, I only have two notes. One says, for fuck's sake, Jay, you're such a fucking idiot. And the other one says, seriously, such an idiot. I did not see the twist coming, as I've said before, because I completely ignored the dude in the one scene he was in. So I did not expect him to show up. 
Yay! We both were surprised at different times. And also I kept the entire thing together with them driving there and Chloe telling Ella that she has to wait outside. And I did not expect her to stay and wait outside, which is actually hilarious because had she not stayed outside, then she would not have met them in the later scene. Yeah. And then we go back to Lux to, I think, my favorite moment. They are still going. They're still going. And then we have another song going with this, which is called All the Time by Bahamas. And the tempo of this song is much slower because the boys are getting a little bit tired. And I love how that gives us the feel of the scene immediately. Yeah, different energy in this scene, definitely. I have a question and a complaint. Which do you want to hear first? Come at me with the question. How the fuck did no one call the cops? This is Lux. Shit like that happens all the time. Still. I mean, nobody called the cops at Mace and Lucifer beating the shit out of each other in the outside area where, like, people were walking by. So, you know. Yeah, people really need to care more. Lucifer's humans are very ignorant. Which actually fits with the flashback filler episode where they have the super loud conversation and nobody cares. Yeah, okay, strike that question. (laughs) Complaint. Go on. No, wrong. It's not a... Why did I say it was a complaint? I don't know. Are you in that mindset? It is a compliment, not a complaint. Oh my god. To be fair, it's very close to each other. (laughs) So, I don't have a complaint, I have a compliment. Because the play Kane is doing here with drawing parallels between himself and Amenadiel in season one. Mm-hmm. Oh boy! I completely forgot about Amenadiel trying to kill Lucifer, to be honest. And this just threw it back in my face. And I'm like, oh, this is great. This is really good storytelling because it ties everything together. This also shows how good Kane's research on Ames is. And he knows exactly how to play him and to get this psychological effect, which also plays into my assumption that he did not think he could kill Amenadiel, but he can really hurt, hurt him. So, oh wow, this was good. My note on this moment is, what's wrong with me? Do I actually like Kane now? He has become a very likable asshole, but he's still an asshole. He's still an asshole, definitely. There are two quotes that I absolutely loved by Kane in this scene, and that's, that's gonna leave a mark when <laughs> Ames sticks the bottle inside of him and then when Ames says you don't have to do this Kane says well you didn't have to curse me either but you did that so it's just egging him on and it's lovely to see Eminadiel being challenged and given into the violence and I am living for this it's so good we go into the scene I called Resolution. See, and I call it confrontation. Yeah. Both. Both. Definitely both. See, and this is the moment where I understand why Ella stayed by the car. Because as much as she is criminally sophisticated or she knows her way around a crime scene and forensics and stuff like that, she is still in the best possible way a nerd and a lab rat. 
there is a reason she is not a field detective, why she chose science. So it makes to me absolute sense that she stay, actually stays behind. And then obviously because it's her brother and she needs to help him, she reacts and confronts the horrible dude that who cares about his name. And Jay has the only tiny short instance of the resemblance of a decent human being when he tries to play at the fact that he does not know Ella to protect her. Not that it helped much. Yeah, and it's not enough, but it's truly the only sliver of decency that we see of him in this episode. So I kind of wanted to at least mention it. Yeah, credit but credits due or, you know, a resemblance of credits. Yeah, at least at least mention. A shadow of credits. Ooh. Nice. This must be one of my favorite mace entrances. It's so badass. Because we see the knife. Ella looks behind her, sees Mace standing there, and then vanishing. And that's so Mace. This is what I would say if Ella wouldn't have said it herself. And this whole scene plays out. And once again, we have soft Lucifer. He compliments Chloe. He nearly admits that he was wrong. And while I am more used to see him be soft with Chloe, usually it has more emotional buildup to get him to this point. And I love it. I really hope that we see this soft Lucifer a bit more often in the future. Yep, I agree. It was very nice and it made me very happy. And I closed up this scene with a question to myself and maybe to you, which gets <laughs> obvious the answer in the next scene. Do we think Jay still has the diamonds? Because that was the only obvious possibility of what happened to the diamonds because he was working on them when the murder happened and when he legged it from the place. Absolutely. We go into the closure between Linda and Charlotte. For the first time in a few episodes, Linda is actually behaving like a good person. Yes. And this scene actually reconciled me with Linda for a very big part. I'm not gonna mention the thing that shall not be named. That does not exist. But I 100% agree with you. She is finally, again, behaving like the good person that I have come to expect her to be. And not just towards Charlotte, but also towards herself. The acknowledgement that she needs to work through this, that this is something that maybe they can do together to mutual benefit. The honesty that both of them are gonna get something out of it just made me so happy. This was so satisfying on so many different levels to me. And then you have this poke to make sure there is no light spilling out of Charlotte, just to be sure. She was very sure, but just to be completely sure was just the perfect bow on top of this side plot. I absolutely agree. There's really nothing I can add to that. I do wonder, do you think we're gonna see the therapy sessions? The way we see Lucifer therapy sessions? I don't think it's gonna be so in detail as we see Lucifer because after all nor Charlotte or Linda are our main characters but I am hopeful that we're gonna get to see at least some of it. I would be so interested. Yeah for sure. 
No, we need to deal with Jay. That should be the name of the scene. I called it Scary Sweet Lucifer. I called it Red-Handed. I, as mentioned before, absolutely love that Lucifer cares for Ella so much. I have, again, soft Lucifer protecting Ella in all the ways. And Jay can go fuck himself. Fuck him. I hate him. And I love that Lucifer's solution means that Ella is gonna live in the perception that her brother is good and he's gonna make sure that her brother is good. That he doesn't necessarily need to tell Ella that he is a piece of shit. Because he's not gonna be anymore. Exactly. There is an IMDb fact that I want to talk about. The IMDb says, This is one of only three instances in the season three present day timeline when Lucifer's eyes glow. All occur in moments of true righteous fury and without his awareness. When he's angry with Jay, his eyes glow. And now I do wonder, the color is golden, so it is the wrong color for the devil face. Did we miss the other two instances? Are they still coming? And since it's golden, is this something like an angel face? I didn't notice his eyes glowing, so I can't tell. And I was looking at his eyes because I was expecting the devil eyes to flush through. He does the supernatural Jack golden Nephilim eyes. I have missed that. Go back, look at it. Because this is where I genuinely expected for his eyes to flush red. And I didn't see that and I was slightly surprised. And there was no reaction from Jay, was there? No, not in the way we see to the devil face. So I am very sure it is not anything related to the devil face. I am wondering if there is something like an angel face. And since you missed this instant, I'm even more unsure if we missed a previous instance or if they are still coming. There might be coming. Well, we'll see. I'll try to focus on it more. I'm super curious. I'm pretty sure if you go back and you check out the scene, This scene ends at 39 minutes 20 seconds and it's right before the end of the scene and once you see it I'm pretty sure you are going to be more aware just like I am now hyper focused on this because this is really interesting. Perfect. Anything else for this penultimate scene? Nope. And with the last scene comes the last song called... Hustler by Joseph Salvat. I looked into his origin because it's spelled J-O-S-E-F, which is a Czech spelling of Joseph. And Salvat sounds also very Slavic. He's from Australia, so who knows? It's one of the performers in this episode who have nearly zero information about them on the internet or nowhere near enough. So who knows? So in the penultimate scene, we obviously get the title drop by a man deal and we get the setup for more future tension between the two of them and that's pretty much it yeah for the first time in a while we have lucifer and amenadiel on direct opposite goals anyway it is fascinating to me that even after everything allegedly god put amenadiel through he is still such a loyal soldier that's horrifying it's crazy to me and again we've talked about this a few times during this episode this whole mission of being your brother's keeper is bullshit and it's gonna bite him in the arse and I can't wait for him to stop coming at me with this over and over and like I said I'm curious what the writers are gonna do with this well there's definitely gonna be something but to summon up 
my thoughts about this episode. It was a good and very enjoyable episode. I am very happy that Linda decided to help Charlotte because as we said, as you said, this will be good for both of them. I adored Mace in this episode and learning about family and what we do for people we love. I'm hoping that this is gonna help her grow even more. Lucifer as obsessed with his little parallel that he was at the beginning. He did listen to Chloe and in the end we got to see how much he actually cares for Ella as again we mentioned before and of course that both made us happy. And the only thing again I wasn't a complete fan of is the little moments of Ella being blindly supportive of her brother. At stages, it was just a little bit too much for me. But I get it. I know where it's coming from. It's very much in character. And in general, we do tend to be the blindest towards our family if we love them. But I'm gonna end up on a high note with my absolute love for the entire Amenadiel Kane interaction. It was so good and it made me extremely happy. It made me laugh. It was really well choreographed. It was very well written. And and oh, more of that, please. And thank you. I agree that this was a good, solid, pun episode. I got some twists that I did not see coming, which I always enjoy. I got some eye candy with the fight in Lux. Linda showed some actual growth, which has been a while. Lucifer was the softest that we have seen him, in my opinion. And my most hated storyline did not even get mentioned. But... I am very disappointed because this was very clearly supposed to be an Ella episode for which I have been asking repeatedly. And we learned nearly nothing about Ella. We learn about her family dynamics. There's nearly no new information about Ella. And I don't care about Jay. I care about Ella. So fuck off Jay and give me more about Ella. So if this had not been framed as an Ella episode, this would get such high praises from me. But I have been demanding an Ella episode. This was supposed to be an Ella episode. I went into this with very different expectation. So I am salty as fuck. Next! And with this we say thank you for listening. If you are curious, find us on the various social medias. We love interacting with you either over there or when you send us emails to lucifer at taot-podcast.com. If you want to get even more personal and have secret chats with us on our exclusive Discord server, you can join our Patreon at patreon.com slash taotpodcast. We have a whole bunch of different rewards from early release to hours of bonus content. Yes, hours. If that sounds like too much pressure, you can help the show by leaving positive iTunes reviews. They really, really help. Or telling all your friends about us because nothing beats a personal recommendation. Thank, Thank you. you! Bye! Bye.